Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 looking at the first nine verses. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him into contempt. For land that has drunk the rain and oft, that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, that if it is, worth, it is worthless and near to be cursed... And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Father, we uh, need your help today. God, we need, a, we need a clear word from your spirit. We need our, our ears and our eyes to be open. God, this is an incredibly difficult passage. But Father, we trust it is your word. We trust that it is written in the way it's written for a very particular purpose. We trust that we need it. And so, Lord, we, we take it today. We receive it today. Father, I, I want to pray for um, Pastor Sanjeevi's widow, for her children. Lord, for the gospel to go forward in that area of India, for your grace and us helping them. I want to pray for little Anna. Just praying, God, that you would just control the circumstances of her future to, to put her in a place where she will be loved and will hear the gospel and will be encouraged. We pray for her family. We pray for the Chinawas. We pray for your grace there. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> incredibly difficult passage. In fact, I would say that I would have great support across all of Christianity in saying that this is maybe the most difficult passage in the New Testament to interpret. Okay, I think a lot of people would uh, agree with that. Um, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to tell you this is what I believe, this is why I believe, and this is what it means to us, okay? I'm also going to probably a little bit tell you, you know, there's other interpretations within this pie, and this, this piece of pie here, I would say, is the correct interpretation, other interpretations that could be correct, that do not contradict the rest of the Word of God, okay? So, in other words, you've got, uh, you've got really good men like John MacArthur, John Piper, Charles Spurgeon, uh, others who, who believe kind of close to similar things about this, but they're all within the scope of what's in the Bible, okay? So to teach this about Hebrews 6 would be to agree with the rest of the Bible. Now, over here, we have some interpretations of this passage that in my, in, in my strong conviction directly contradict other passages of, of Scripture that are very clear, okay? So what we're going to do a little bit today is we're going to say, all right, it can't mean this because here's what the rest of the Bible says, all right? So you're already confused, aren't you? We haven't even started. Now, all right, so tough passage, so please listen, hear, pray. Let's, let's ask God to speak to us. All right, so here's where we start out in, in chapter 6, verse 1. We start out with basically one, one kind of command. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. All right, now this part is not unclear, okay? This part is very clear because the writer of Hebrews has been hammering us with this since chapter 1, okay? There, there is this constant press in the book of Hebrews that we be 
be fruitful believers, okay? If you're a born-again believer, if, if you're joined to Jesus, then you need to be growing, okay? You've got to be growing. You've got to be going forward. You've got to be maturing. You've got to be bearing fruit. If you're not, you're in danger, okay? If you're not, there's something wrong. That, that's what he's saying. <clears throat> if you are here last week, we looked at, at going from milk to meat. We looked at not being lazy in our hearing of the word of God. That's, that's a dangerous place to be for a Christian to say, hey, I'm a believer. I belong to Jesus, but... You know, I, I, don't, I don't hear the word of God. I, I don't listen to it. I don't pay attention to it. I don't share it. I don't obey it. I don't practice it. You know, I, I just call myself a believer, okay? That's a dangerous place to be. The writer of Hebrews is pressing us, let us go on to maturity. Now, why is that doctrine so incredibly important? Let me stop right here, okay? Let me give you just four reasons why that is so important. Because not everybody stresses that, okay? There's a lot of Christians that, you know what they stress? They just stress, we just got to get people in the door, okay? The door of salvation, okay? So if you picture like a door of salvation, we just got to get people to pray a prayer. We just got to get them to say, you know, hey, I believe in Jesus. Hey, I accept him. Hey, you know, a lot of people would stress, we just need to have an initial conversion. Then we don't care what happens after that. We just got to get, we just got to get people into salvation, Okay? Man, that could not be further from the Bible, okay? The Bible does not at all give that emphasis. The Bible's emphasis is, if you are a believer, you've got to be maturing. You've got to be going forward. You've got to be progressing. You've got to be growing. You've got to be responding to the Word of God. Now, why is that so important? Four reasons. Number one, you are saved for God's glory. If any of you have ever read the Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, the price of the book is worth the first sentence in the book. And the first sentence in the book is, it's not about you, okay? And that's incredibly important, okay? I mean, if you're going to live the Christian life, you've got to stop thinking everything revolves around you, okay? You, you, you've got to stop thinking that, okay? Because the, the reality is everything revolves around God. We are saved for God's glory. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And then there's this marvelous two words, for him, okay? Everything is created. So, so God saves us. God dumps his riches into our life for his glory, okay? To make us trophies of his grace so that we display his glory to the nations. He does not dump his riches onto our life to get us into the door of salvation and then just says, hey, go ahead and do whatever you want. Just you know, you live however you want. Do whatever you want. I don't care. You know, just, just go ahead and live your own life. Man, that is that could be nothing further from the gospel truth than that. And not only is that not the gospel truth, that is offensive to God. Okay, to, to basically say, God, I just want your riches, but then I'm not interested in you, you know? I'm not interested in your, in your word. I'm not, I don't want to trust you. I don't want to follow you. I, I, just, I, just want, I just want to get in the door, okay? I just, I just want to be, you know, uh, I just want to not go to hell. Listen, you, you know what that's like? That, that's like? That's like going to your dad and saying, Dad, I need a loan, you know? And his next question is going to be what? Why would you need a loan, you know? And then you give him a pretty good answer. Dad, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a businessman. Dad, I want to open up a business. So would you give me a loan? And dad said, well, you know, that's a pretty good idea. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and take my riches and, and give you a loan so that you can start a business. That's a, good, that's a good idea, son. And then the business you start is you print T-shirts. And the T-shirts say, my dad is uninteresting and I don't trust anything he says, okay? And you sell those T-shirts, all right? That's dishonoring. That's offensive. Okay? And in the same way, to be a person that says, yeah, hey, you know what? I, I want to say the sinner's prayer. I, I, I want to I I become a Christian. But then I'm not interested in going forward. I'm not interested in the word of God. I'm not interested in church. I'm not interested in small groups. I'm not interested in, in, in being productive or fruitful in the kingdom. Folks, there, there's, a, there's a huge problem with that. 
Okay? Number two. We'll go quick here. We've got to go quick. God is glorious, and to know Him is to want more of Him. Okay? It just does not make sense, my friends. It does not mesh to say, I believe Jesus. What do we say when we say, I believe Jesus? We're saying, I, I believe the Jesus of this book, okay? I believe the Jesus of the Scriptures. <coughs> I believe the Jesus has been revealed to me. The Jesus who's the bread of life and the fountain of living waters and the good shepherd and the resurrection of life and the treasure worth giving everything for. I believe that Jesus, but, I, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not interested in seeking him. I'm not interested in the Bible and I'm not interested in all that other stuff. How, how do you put those together? How do you put together, I believe Jesus is the greatest thing ever. I can trust him fully. But, but I'm not going to. <clears throat> it doesn't make sense. Number three, God saves you for a mission. God saves you for a mission. Okay? God, God, God does not save you to sit. He does not save you. He does not have the reclining, uh, Dorito-eating Christians, okay? That, that you're saved that you might just relax, you know? I mean, God saves you for mission. One of the great verses of, of the, that expresses our faith is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It says, for by grace you've been saved. We believe that through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then the next verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, for what? Good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we... We're created for mission. And number four, finally, why, why, why the emphasis on maturity? Why the emphasis on fruitfulness? Because the Bible is very clear that no fruit in a person's life indicates spiritual deadness. Let me take you to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is a very clear uh, passage about this. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. It may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Remember this imagery, okay? Because we're going to see it in Hebrews just a second, okay? Listen, listen. If anyone does not abide in me, this is verse 6, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, he's going to use that, that same image in a few verses here in Hebrews chapter 6. So, it's incredibly, incredibly important and emphasized in the scripture that we move forward in our Christian life, that we not be spiritually lazy, that we respond to the word of God, that we bear the fruit of God. Okay, incredibly important emphasis. Now, what are we not to do, okay? Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not, all right, here's the first command that we're going to deal with. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, here's where people start going pew, 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 pew. Okay, all right. Everybody's trying to interpret what exactly is he saying here, okay? Well, the, 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 the initial thing is don't lay again a foundation. Now, what's a foundation? It's the beginning, right? It's what everything rests upon, okay? It's what everything sits on, all right? Now, in, in, in trying to interpret what he's saying here, and you're going to see me do this, this whole sermon, what, what I do here, Here's how I interpret the Bible. I look at the rest of the Bible, okay? The rest of the Bible interprets the, the parts of the Bible that I don't understand, okay? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. So wh- I'm thinking foundation, foundation. So I, I think in my head, well, 1 Corinthians 3, all right? 
We had a very similar passage, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, 11. Paul says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. Verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so... See, this gives me a place to stand. All right, so what is, what is the foundation the Scripture says that we build our gospel on? It is the life and works of Jesus Christ, the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, things are turning in my head. You know why? Because I'm thinking, all right, how did Hebrews start out? Hebrews started out in the whole chapter 1 saying, Jesus is better. He's better than angels. He's better than this. He's better than this. He's better than this. All right, and throughout Hebrews, thus far, we've seen this emphasis upon Jesus is better than everything in Judaism. Everything in Judaism was leading toward Jesus. It was a shadow of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because I'm trying to think, okay, we got to interpret this according to the context of Hebrews. And the context of Hebrews is he's writing to Hebrews who are Hebrews. They're Jewish people. That's what a Hebrew is, right? And they're Jewish people who have received the gospel. They've made a profession of faith, but, but they're, they're, they're thinking about going back. Things are getting hard. They're being persecuted. We see that in chapter 10. And, and, and so, so the whole chapter is saying, don't go back. Stay with Jesus. Live your life on Jesus. Build your foundation on Jesus. Okay? So what, what do I think is happening here in Hebrews 6 when he says, not laying again a foundation of dead works and, and faith toward God and instruction about washing, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal time? I think... What he's doing. And again, other Spurgeon disagrees. Spurgeon believes this is a hypothetical thing. And, and I don't think that's a bad interpretation, but I, I just don't see it in the context. I think what he's doing is he's, he's urging these folks, don't go back. Okay? Things are really tough right now. You're getting persecuted. But don't let that make you turn away from Jesus and say, well, I, I'm going to be religious by being a Jew. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to do good works. I'm going to go to the ceremonies. I'm going to do all the religious uh, things. I, I'm, no, 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 no. You can't turn away from Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. You can't start over again without Jesus. If you start over again without Jesus, you know what you're doing? You're crucifying him all over again. That's what verse 6 says. If they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. That's what the Jews did when they crucified him, wasn't it? They said, we don't need you. You're not our Messiah. You're not. We've got works. We've got Moses. We've got the law. That's all we need. We don't need Jesus. So, don't lay again another foundation. In my mind, what he's saying there is other than Christ. Now, here's where it gets really sticky. Verse 4, okay? Are you ready? For it is impossible to restore again to repentance. Did you hear that? It's impossible to restore again to repentance. Okay? Those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared, the good, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God... And the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away. All right, now, what's clear here is he's describing a situation in which a person puts themselves in, in which they cannot repent. Now, first of all, that's terrifying to me, okay? Anybody else? Uh, I mean, wow, I mean, that's got my attention right away because that's like the scariest thing ever. 
You know what the scariest thing about hell to me is? I mean, the Bible has all these descriptions of hell. You know, lake of fire, place of, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, you know, it's demonic. Um, the, you know, the, it's, it's never ending. But the, the scariest thing about hell to me is, is to think about a place where, where I can't ever go back. You know, I mean, I, I can't ever change. I, I, to, to think of, of crossing a line. Let's put it that way. Crossing a line in which I put myself in a place where I can't ever, I can't ever go back. And that is terrifying to me to think, here's what's terrifying. It's too late. Oh, my. All right. Now, even scarier is it seems to me he's describing a situation before hell. Okay. While we're living here, when, 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 you, when you fall away, turn away from Christ, build another foundation, and it's impossible to restore again repentance. All right. So how do we interpret this? What exactly is happening here? Well, Here's, again, how, how do I interpret the Bible? Well, I'm thinking, okay, are there other, is there any other place in the Bible that talks about a situation in which a person commits a sin in which they fall away to the point where they cannot repent, where, the, where, the, where, they're, where they're gone? They're, they're, they're past the point of repentance. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Let me begin reading here. This is a story about Jesus. <clears throat> then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and was, was brought to him. And he healed him so that he, the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. That makes zero sense. All right. Knowing their thoughts, this is what Jesus said basically to them, that makes zero sense. Every king, he, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judge. Now listen to verse 28. Okay, pay attention here. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Therefore, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Another situation like that, right? Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Another frightening passage. Okay? It seems to be saying the same thing, that a person can put himself in a position where, where, where he's beyond repentance. Okay? So, what exactly... Let's, let's interpret this passage and let's go back to Hebrews 6. So, what, what's happening here? Well, what's happening here is, is the Pharisees have a front row seat... To, to God displaying clearly that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, all right? They, they're, they're on the front row. They've got 3D, okay? They've got surround sound, all right? I mean, this is, this is clear. Right in front of them, here's a demon-possessed man who is blind and who is mute, and Jesus comes up, and by the power of the Spirit of God, cast out the devil, heals this guy, makes him complete, makes him whole. Everybody else is saying, this is the Son of David, this is the Messiah. What are they saying? This is of the devil. The devil's casting out the devil. The devil's scoring touchdowns for the other team. And Jesus is like, man, you got a front row seat to see the clear revelation of the gospel. And, and, and you're telling me that, that that's of the devil? 
you've, you've crossed over a line. There's no hope for you. I mean, what else could be done? What else could be given to these guys, you know? I mean, what, what else could be showed? What else would you need to see? I mean, they've given the full revelation of God, and they've said, that's of the devil. And he said, man, there's, there's no hope for you. If that's your heart, there's no hope for you. All right. Pastor, is there any other examples in the Bible that might fit this? Yeah, there is. Let's look at them. All right. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. This one's not as clear, but, but, but it's, it's in the same vein. So I want to go ahead. I'm going to give you two more. This one and another one. Okay. So this is about Esau. Hebrews 12, 15. Or start there. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, here's the scary part, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. All right, different situation, but I want to show you the commonalities in this one, all right? First of all, again, you've got a guy who's been given great opportunity, okay? He is the oldest son of Isaac, all right? To him, by nature, would be the birthright, all the promises of God, all the promises of Abraham. The guy doesn't care about him at all. He's out hunting. He comes in. He's hungry. His brother's cooking chili, and he's like, give me some of that chili. Jacob who desperately wants the promises of God, the things of God, says, hey, trade me your birthright, and I'll give you all, this, all, the, all, the, all the chill you want. And Esau's like, you bet. I don't care anything about that other thing. And, and, he, and he trades the gifts of God for the immediate gratification of a full gut. And later, even when he repeats, when he regrets it, there's no chance for, there's no opportunity for repentance. One more. One more. I think we see a common theme in all these. This one's in Exodus. It's a guy named Pharaoh, okay? Again, just like the, just like the Pharisees, Pharaoh here has a front seat, okay? To maybe, besides the resurrection, maybe the most spectacular display of God's glory in the entire scriptures, Okay? So here's what happens. Moses comes, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Okay. In fact, in, 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 Roma, in Exodus 7.13, it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so, so God begins to turn on the, the fireworks. All right. God begins to turn on the glory. All right. So first of all, the Nile turns to blood. Okay. The Nile turns to blood. And then frogs permeate the entire land of Egypt. I mean, frogs in your bed, frogs on your, in your kitchen, frogs in your tub, frogs everywhere, okay? God, God, you know, Moses comes, says, here's what God's gonna do. God does it over and over again. Verse 15, chapter eight, when Pharaoh saw there was no respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them, okay? So God turns it up. God sends gnats and then God sends flies. And then in chapter, 30, or chapter eight, verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time and also did not let the people go. So chapter nine, God kills all the livestock and then he sends boils on every every egyptian and then hailstones as big as boulders come down from the sky and in chapter 9 verse 34 it says that pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased he sinned yet again and hardened his heart man pharaoh chapter 10 god sends locusts and then he sends darkness over the whole land chapter 10 verse 27 something different happens here but the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. All right, do you see the commonalities there? Do you, do you see the, 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 the commonalities between the Pharisees and Pharaoh? Okay, so both, both 
had a front row seat to all this revelation, all this, this gospel, all this, this glory of God. They saw it all. They experienced it all. It was all around them. And they were like, nope, I'm out. And they came to a point where there was no more hope for them. Okay, so let's come back to Hebrews 6. So here we've got a people, okay, who it says they can come to a point if they fall away where it's impossible for them to be restored again to repentance. So here's the big question. Who are these guys? Are they believers? Are they not believers? Are we not sure? Okay. I land in the camp that says we're not sure. Okay. We're, we're, we're not sure. Why are we not sure? Well, they, they sure look like believers. They smell like believers. They sort of act like believers. Let, let me show you that. Chapter 6, verse 4. It's impossible to restore again in repentance. Those who have, listen how they're described. Once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away. Now, they sound a lot like believers, but here's what the Bible teaches us. There's a bunch of people that look like believers, sound like believers, dress like believers, but they aren't. Matthew chapter 7. Scary. Man, today's full of scary verses, okay? We're, we're going to get to some, you know, just hang in with me here. A month or so, we're going to be in chapter 11, and you'll all like me, but you hate me today, okay? All right, so Matthew seven twenty one. Listen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not... Ask yourself, does this sound like believers? Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? That sounds like believers. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. So, these guys look like believers, but what have we learned from the Scriptures? I mean, they've once been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the Word of God. But what have we learned from the Spirit? What we've learned from, from the Scriptures is, if you don't move forward in your faith, if you don't progress in your faith, if you don't mature in your faith, if you don't persevere in your faith, you're not the real deal. I mean, that, 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 that's, what, that's what he's been telling us this whole, these six chapters in Hebrews. Remember chapter 3, where he brings up the, the Israelites who came out of Egypt? Man, they all came out of Egypt, remember? Hey, let's go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians 10. There's a real clear passage about them, okay? Hebrews 3 is clear, but 1 Corinthians 10 is all right together. Ready? Here, here we go. Hebrews 10, or 1 Corinthians 10, 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Remember, they all came out. They were all under the cloud. And they were all passed through the sea. They all went through the Red Sea. And they were all baptized into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless... With most of them, God was not pleased and they were overthrown in the wilderness. You see, there's been this continual theme in the book of Hebrews that says, all right, you may look like a believer, but listen, if you don't persevere, if you don't respond to the word of God, if you're, if you're, you may show yourself to not really have what you think you have. All right. The most convincing thing that makes me land where I do and so, so where I land is over here, I think, in this part of the pie that says, I think he's talking to people that claim to be believers, but 
They're not growing, they're not maturing, and they're dabbling with turning back into Judaism. And he tells them, listen, if you turn back, you're going to show that you never had what you said you had. And if you turn back after all of that blessing, after all of that revelation, after all of God's goodness, if you turn away from it all and say you don't want it, man, you're left in a place that it's impossible for you to repent. Okay, that's where I land. Now, let me show you why I land there. Verses 7 and 8 are an illustration, okay, at the end of his teaching here. And this illustration helps us nail down what this passage means. So, verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain... So he's given us a metaphor here, an illustration. Land that's drunk the rain, that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. All right, so you got a piece of land. The piece of land represents people, Okay. And the rain comes down on it. All right, what's the rain represent? Rain represents God's revelation, God's truth, God, the experience of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Okay, so they're receiving all this rain, all this rain. And if they grow fruitfulness from that, so it's cultivated, it comes up, it bears fruit, you're blessed, right? But if after all that rain, you bear no fruit, you bear thorns and thistles, what does it say? You're, it's worthless, near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Remember, the, remember the, the images in John 15? Same images. So, let's put this in, in practicality for us today. The person that comes to church, maybe they were born into a Christian family. They came out of the womb, and their grandma's giving them the gospel, all right? You know, their first birthday, they get a Bible, you know? Um, they're, they're in Sunday school all their life. They're hearing the gospel over and over. They're, 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 they see it in their family. God heals, you know, people around them. They, they, they see the transformation of their uncle. I mean, they're just so, they get all this rain, 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 coming down on their life. They respond by saying, I'm not interested in any of that. I don't want any of that. I'm going this other way. I think that's who he's talking about. And if you reject the gospel at every clear turn, what's left for you? Your life will be cursed and its end will be burned. Now, switch gears here, okay? I know, I know this is tough. Just keep just following, following, following. Hopefully you're following. Okay. So I told you there's some other things over here that I think are unbiblical ways of looking at this. One of the ways I think is unbiblical is some people have translated this and saying, okay. You know, verse 4, it says, impossible for those who restored to repentance. Those who've been once enlightened, taste the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, taste the goodness of the Word of God. They interpret that to be true believers. Okay. So there's true believers who can, if they, if they fall into sin, fall away from God, turn away from Jesus, they can lose their salvation. So God comes in and, and he takes the Holy Spirit out. And he comes in and he goes as far as the east is from the west and he gathers their sins and he puts them back in, in them and they have to pay for them now. And he, and he pulls out justification and he pulls out glorification. He pulls all that out. Okay, Here's what I'm telling you. I cannot go with that interpretation. Okay, And the reason I can't go with that interpretation is twofold. Number one... <clears throat> It does not fit with the theme of Hebrews, okay? The theme of Hebrews, which is don't turn back. And if you turn back, if you don't, if you don't persevere, you show yourself never to have had salvation. Okay, we looked at that in chapter 3, verse, verse 6. In chapter 3, verse 14, those two verses clearly say our fruitfulness is the evidence of our genuineness, okay? Not that you can lose salvation. 
okay? The second reason is, and this is really important just for your Bible study, my friends, always, church, always interpret the difficult passages in Scripture by the clear ones, okay? Let Scripture interpret Scripture, all right? And, and, and to answer the question, can a genuine believer lose his salvation? Can that be taken from him? Can, 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 can he give it away? All right, listen to the Scriptures. John five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. Okay? He's not in a probationary period. He's not going toward eternal life. It's not yet to be seen whether he's going to get it. He has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death into life. He's crossed over that bridge. Okay, John chapter 10. I mean, there's no way I can get past this one. Listen to it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. What does it mean if Jesus gives you eternal life? They will never perish. What does it mean to never perish? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given to me is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he calls. And those whom he calls, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, here it comes. Here's where you're headed, believer. He glorifies. Isn't that good? Okay, let's keep reading in Romans chapter 8. How about we start with verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, who's raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that's what the Hebrews are experiencing. Is that going to separate them from the love of Christ? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for our, your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord i cannot get to buy that passage how do you get by that how do you get by nothing in all creation will ever separate you from god okay so i can't take that and go over into hebrews 6 I can't, I can't do it in a good conscience say, well, these are real believers who, who sinned and, and turned away, so they lost it. God took it away. So, next question. Lots of questions to end there. Why didn't this dude in Hebrews make this clearer, huh? Isn't that the next question? Why does he write this way? Well, I think he writes this way because I think it's incredibly helpful theology, okay? Because... Because he, here's the danger. Here's the danger. The danger for us. Now, I've already, I've already told you what I believe. I, I, I believe that once God has you, he keeps you for all eternity. Once God puts his Holy Spirit in you, he, he sanctifies you. He disciplines you. Okay, You start to get astray. He brings you back if you're a true believer. Okay, I, I, I don't believe that when he removes your sins as far as the east is from the west, then he, he never goes and gets those and puts them back on you. I, I believe that once you're a genuine believer, you're going to persevere to the end. So why does he write this way? Because you know what he does not want you doing? He does not want you having the kind of theology that says, hey, I made a decision at Falls Creek, so I'm a true believer. I made a decision at VBS, so I'm a true believer. So I don't need to sweat my Christian life. I don't need to worry about it. I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm not going to give any effort. I'm not, I'm not going to bust my tail in the Bible. I'm not going to respond in obedience. I don't, I'm going to go ahead and live in my sin here because it's okay. 
I'm a true believer. That's poor theology. And the writer of Hebrews is writing in such a way that says, man, if you receive all these gifts of God and then you, you turn away and you turn back and you don't grow and you don't mature, you ought not be comfortable in that. You ought to be greatly bothered in that. And again, you're going to say, well, pastor, but you just said that every true believer is going to persevere by God's power to the end. I did just say that, but here's what also the Bible says. And we already read a passage that says this. There's a lot of people that are mistaken about whether they're a believer. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this and this? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Okay. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, mature. You know what he just told us? Mature. Don't go back. Don't start over. Don't turn away from the foundation. No matter how hard it gets, you got to go forward. And you got, you got to look for the, the marks of Jesus in your life. Okay? And other places in the Bible. Tell us to do that. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test. 1 John, the whole book is written for this reason. 1 John 2, 3. <clears throat> By this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. If we love our brother. 1 John 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Anyone says, I love love God and hate his brother. He's a liar. For he, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's theology that reminds us to fear when we find ourselves where we should not be. Remember the Grand Canyon illustration? Remember that? About a month ago? Remember? Met at the Grand Canyon with my wife. As long as I'm back here away from the edge, all is good. It's harmonious. It's pleasant. It's great. Once I get near the, the edge, I start hearing these cries and they start getting more vehement and they start getting threatening, okay, when I get near the edge. The same is true in your Christian life. You're living back here in the will of God surrounded by the people of God, responding to the word of God, all is harmonious. You get near the edge and you're going to start hearing cries from the book of Hebrews that say, you better be careful. You're in a bad spot here. Why is it such a big deal to stay away from these interpretations? You you, you saw I landed real heavily here. Two reasons, and then we'll close. Two reasons. Number one, To say this over here, to say that Hebrews 6 is saying that genuine believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, connected to Jesus, in union with Christ, have His righteousness. To say that all that can be taken away because they don't live a certain way. We've got to be careful, but understand what I'm saying here. To say that my salvation is dependent upon Jesus plus me doing these things is not the gospel. Okay? It's a distortion of the gospel. It's a Jesus plus gospel. It's saying, I'm saved not only by Jesus, but I'm saved by doing my good deeds, by doing my good works, by staying in this, this, this obedience. And the second big problem with that is, if that is true, somebody needs to tell me like in the next 60 seconds, okay, where the line is of, of when you fall away. I mean, man, I need to know that. I mean, I need to know how much sin causes God to be done with me. How much rebellion undoes what God did. How little faith triggers the loss of my salvation. Because if this is talking about losing your salvation, once you lose it, you can't ever get it back. I mean, that's clear from that. If you you follow that interpretation. And I, I need to know that. I need to know about Peter. I mean, Peter denied the Lord three times. Did he lose it and never get it back? What What happened there? So, how do we respond? How do, how do we obey? Remember, we, we got to obey the word of God. How do we obey? Well, let me talk to two groups of people. Number one, there, there's probably some folks that are going to be in our services today. And, and you, you're a taste tester. You're a dabbler. 
you know? You're, you're, like, you're like, man, I, I want to be on the edge of Christianity. And, and I, I, I love going to church. I love to hear the word of God. I love, but I'm not all in. I don't want to be all in. I, I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus. I just want to kind of be on the edge, you know? And then, here's what most people think. And then someday, someday on my deathbed, then I'll be all in. Well, here's what I'm telling you. It is really dangerous for you to have a front row seat and to receive the rain. All the, the blessings of God, the word of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God, the power of God. That's a dangerous situation to not bear fruit, to not go forward. Christians, how do we respond to this passage? We respond by saying, man, we got to go forward. This is a big deal. I'm not content to be barely in the door of salvation. Man, I want to be running, sprinting toward glory. I want to be bearing fruit. I want to be maturing. I want to be going forward in my faith. And so I guess the question that we leave with is this. Where am I and how do I go forward? Those are two great questions. Where am I in my faith and how do I go forward? For some people, it's going to be, man, I I got to repent of this sin. I got to get right here. I got to stop doing that. I got to stop being disobedient. For others, I got to respond to the word of God. For others, I got to get in the word of God. For others, I got to get with the people of God. I got got, to start obeying. I, I need to mature. I need to go forward. Let's pray. Father, we ask your help. Lord, uh, this has been a tough passage, God. It's tough to interpret. It's tough to obey. But Lord, we, we know that you are perfect in giving us your word and that it's written exactly as it should be written. It's written to give us a sense of tension. It's written to give us a sense of, of uh, urgency. And Lord, I, I pray that it would have accomplished that very thing in us today. And Lord, that we would be those who don't turn back. We'd be those who, who don't fall away. We'd be those who persevere. We keep going. Give us fruitfulness, Lord. In Jesus' name.